0: We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time 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 time. for Taiwan This Week.
1: Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week, ICRT's roundup of the top news stories from around Taiwan over the past seven days. I'm Keith Menconi of ICRT News, and joining me in studio today is Gavin Phipps, also of ICRT News. Gavin, Uh, good evening. And also in studio today, we've got Jane Ricards of The Economist. Hello, Jane. Hi, Keith. Today on the show, we are back in the thick of last year's oil scandal after the court ruling last week that found Ding Xin Chairman Wei Zhong not guilty. We'll be taking a closer look at the spy swap between China and Taiwan. You know, the one that wasn't a spy swap. And Taipei 101's New Year's fireworks display, which has found a new backer. Uh, we'll talk about who saved the show. But first up... No huge political news this week, but with the January election coming up, uh, you know, we've got to give at least a a nod to the stuff that did happen. Uh, So let's start on the KMT side. This one actually uh, still a pretty fresh story. Uh, The party yesterday sort of fleshed out the structure of its presidential campaign team. So we now know that former Taichung Mayor Jason Hu will head the campaign headquarters. KMT Secretary General Li Sichuan will uh, serve as the Secretary General and legislative speaker Wang Jinping is scheduled to chair the support group for the campaign. So, you know, got a bunch of party bigwigs. They're all pitching in. That's uh, sort of to be expected. Uh, but maybe what fewer people were uh, expecting was another name that's on the list. Gavin? Yes, the former KMT presidential candidate, Hong Xiu
2: Chu, has been picked to serve as a chief advisor to Eric Ju. Of course, this is quite interesting because, of course, Eric Ju was involved in routing her as the party candidate and there has been talk ever since that happened of a big split within the KMT due to you have the Eric Ju supporters and the Hong Shou Ju supporters. This appears to have brought them together. Of course, there are questions about what an actual chief advisor is if you see what i mean jane it could be like one of these things they give to you just to say okay there you go
0: yes i think there's definitely a bit of a whiff of a consolation prize here so to use um, a couple of cliches it's both an olive branch and a consolation prize i think (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that um hung was definitely um threatening to split the party and i think jews trying to By bringing her back on the team and giving her, he's giving her face as it were. Um, It's sort of, he's trying to reconcile things.
1: So, you know, they're, yeah, they're putting on these uh, smiling faces for the cameras, uh, Mm -hmm. but is this really going to bring party unity?
0: Um, I think it will bring more party unity than before. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it's going to solve the KMT's numerous woes, I don't think so, basically. Gavin? You mean, mean Malays? I believe malaise. the word is. The yeah, KMT's Malays KMT's is the word
2: we're going yeah. to be using from now on. But I like the way they've made former Taichung Mayor Jason Hu. Of course, he's, he'll be running the headquarters. And of course, he's, he, mm. he, he's not. while people don't like him, a lot of people do like him. And he's a smiley character that you would want running the show, really.
0: Yeah, well, um we've we've talked about this before Gavin, but my personal interpretation was that simply because Jason who is popular, like he was Taijung mayor for over 10 years. And um he's one of the most successful KMT politicians I'd say in the most recent decade. So I'd say Jason Who there's no conspiracy theory, it's just simply about his popularity.
2: Yeah. I also like the way that they added on this um, sort of press release they said they sent out the KMT saying, Vice President Udini, former Vice President Vincent Shao and former KMT Chairman Lian Janan U shong are expected to serve as honorary chairman of Jews Campaign headquarters. I take it this is sort of, a, we've got to give them something to do. Quickly, put them at the bottom of the pile.
0: Yes, well, I think this is definitely another sort of appointment to give them face. Um, I think Lian Jian is of the pro-China faction, which is not very popular at the moment. So I think you've got to give him enough rope, but just keep him from getting too involved.
2: I guess the same with U Bo Xiong as well.
0: Yes, definitely. I mean, both of them are associated with the pro-China faction and that would be sort of anathema with voters. So they have to sort of keep these people happy but sort of keep them out of the picture
1: all right well when all else fails uh, just dole out the titles that'll keep everybody happy staying with politics uh, for just one more second Uh, this one isn't exactly on the DPP side of things Uh, more like a series of attacks back and forth between the DPP and the KMT Uh, so some DPP lawmakers are accusing KMT vice presidential candidate Jennifer Wong of speculating in real estate, uh, and allegations and retorts from the KMT have been swirling around all week. Uh, and now we've got some lawsuits in the mix as well, Gavin.
2: We've got two lawsuits, in fact. The first lawsuit came on Wednesday when Jennifer Wong filed a complaint against DPP lawmaker Duan Yikang. She filed that at the Taipei District Prosecutor's Office, and she said she was forced to do it because the allegations being made against her and her family regarding the alleged purchasing and then selling of military housing units were not true. Mm. She didn't do it, apparently, according to Wong, anyway. Well, Wong filed this on Wednesday and then Thursday this week. Two DPP officials, both lawmakers, they filed back with their own lawsuit. Basically, it followed the lines of Duan Kung's comments that Wong and her family had used her post as Labour minister from 2008 to 2012 to buy... Military property, old military housing, which, of course, still exists here in Taiwan and the land, it's on. Like I said, she denied it. She filed a lawsuit against Duan and then two other lawmakers came out and said, no, we're going to file another lawsuit against you, accusing you of fraud and forgery this time.
1: So if you're keeping score at home, that's a... Lawsuit for the KMT and a lawsuit for the DPP. It's 1-1. 1-1. We're 1-1 right now. We
2: are. We're tied up at half-time. I do feel it's only half-time, though. Uh,
1: Probably, yeah. These things do have a a tendency of snowballing. And just so people know, I mean, it would uh, the illegality here, if there is any illegality, would be the fact that it's illegal to sell these military homes uh, in less than five years after their purchase. That's the idea.
2: That's part of the question. There's other questions about because they're restricted Mm -hmm. to who can buy them. I see. So there's questions about that. And, of course, Wang's husband actually works for the Judicial UN's Ethics Committee. Mm. So when one works for the Ethics Committee, one comes under the spotlight a bit harder than other people, I would presume, because you're meant to be somewhat ethical.
1: All right. Well, it's hard to know how much these kinds of back and forths are really going to matter come Election Day. I will just have to wait and see. Uh, Next up, a blast from the past we got this week. Uh, This week we took a break from worrying about our lead water pipes and mislabeled Japanese produce and jumped right back into the scandal sensation of yesteryear. That's right, Dingshin Oil and Fat Corporation was blowing up on the scandal charge just a little more than a year ago on allegations that it had sold cooking oil mixed with animal feed oil. They're back on top once more after the company's former chairman, Wei Ying-jong, along with five others, were found not guilty in a ruling by the Zhanghua District Court due to lack of evidence. Uh so that was about a week ago. Of course, since then, uh the ruling has unleashed all kinds of public outrage. Uh, clearly, lots of folks uh were expecting a guilty verdict. Uh but before we get to that, uh let's back up for just a second and uh get everyone caught up. Uh so Jane, uh let us know exactly what was the prosecution arguing and why was the judge not convinced.
0: Well, the prosecutors were basically arguing that the food safety and sanitation laws should apply for raw materials as well as finished products in food. But the defence argued that it should only apply to finished products. And the ruling was eventually based on the argument that as long as food manufacturing met the legal sa- safety levels for products, there was no violation of the law. Mm. In other words, the judges ruled that it was since it was safe to eat the products. The, or they, they, the. The evidence seemed to suggest that it was safe to eat the products. There was no violation of the law.
1: So even though perhaps the original oil was not the kind of oil that should have been used, it yes. was refined to the point that I guess, yes. they, they were talking about the acid levels. They tested yes. the acid levels yes. and some other attributes, and yes. those were all. They all checked out in the final products.
0: Exactly. So uh, the ruling provoked a lot of outrage. But whether the problem was a sort of stringent demand of too stringent demand of proof from the judges or the prosecutors failed to produce insufficient evidence and perhaps their um, investigation was a little bit rushed because of all the sort of immense public pressure on the case, or whether the, the judges had sort of a debatable reading of the Food Safety and Sanitation Act. It isn't really clear. And then there's the old sort of um, chestnut of was the fact that the KM... There was, Someone very close to the main joel that way way was um close to the k m t and a sponsor of the party and did that have any sort of connection and yeah
1: Right, yeah, this is a case that brings up uh, all all of those yes. things and they're all very sensitive issues here yes. in Taiwan. So the the outrage this this week was absolutely palpable. Uh and and I think that the place that a lot of people did go to very very quickly was this idea of uh collusion and uh you know, uh crony capitalism, uh cooperation between the government and this corporation to kind of cover its tail. Uh, but the KMT was also quick to kind of uh, accuse the the DPP of perhaps being the protectors of uh, this company. So there, you know, there was stuff going back and forth from uh, both parties. Uh, which party do we think this is going to hurt more?
0: And the KMT definitely, and um, I would say the food safety scandals was a big contributor to the KMT's losses in the municipal elections last year. And as Taipei Mayor Wen-je recently noted, it's probably also now going to be a factor in the presidential election. So for that reason, I'm personally very sceptical that the KMT had anything to do with the ruling because it, the ruling hurts the KMT's interests more than anyone else.
1: Right, it's radioactive at this yes. point.
0: What was quite interesting, the prosecutors, prosecutors,
2: while stamping their feet and going, we will appeal, probably, maybe, they also accused the court of violating the basic principles of a fair trial, which was quite interesting, because they accused the judges, of course Taiwan has judges at its trials, not juries, and prosecutors accused the judges of failing to consider all the defence's arguments and also of ignoring the testimonies of several major prosecution witnesses, all of whom they say were either experts in food safety or
1: scientists. All right, so uh, really a, a lot of question marks uh, rising up or, or around this ruling. Uh, and it, it's led to calls for deeper reforms, whether you think that the problem here was you know, the judge or whether the problem was the laws itself, perhaps were not uh, written strictly enough. Uh, What were some of the reform calls that we heard this week?
2: We've got the Food and Drug Administration this week is seeking a bill to allow for the confiscation of all legal profits made by companies that violate the act governing food safety and sanitation.
1: And that would already matter.
2: That, sadly, that, well, sadly, however you want to look at it, that sort of call from the FDA was vilified yesterday Thursday when a Supreme Court over overruled an extraordinary appeal not just a regular appeal this was an extraordinary appeal because it was put together very quickly to confiscate 1.8 billion NT from the Jiangqi Foodstuffs Company.
1: So this is a whole different scandal we're the, talking about we're now. To,
2: we're, to, we're still talking about tainted mm. oil but this of course was 2013's tainted oil scandal with the <laughs> Jiangqi yes. Foodstuffs company Going back even further. Scandal, yes. Which is quite interesting because the, the, um, the Supreme Prosecutor's Office based He took this to court, saying, "Okay, look, we want to confiscate 1.8 billion NT from this company that was found totally guilty of using illegal carcinogenic colouring agents in its oil." Yeah, Mm. the company chairman was sentenced to 12 years in prison. Now, the interesting thing is, the Supreme Court said, "No, you can't take or confiscate the 1.8 billion NT from Changji Foodstuffs because it's a company." And current laws state that the confiscation of illegally obtained income can only be carried out when you're dealing with an individual and not a corporation
0: yeah, I think yeah I read that too, Gavin, and I think that's sort of an example of sort of the ridiculousness of the laws and the way they need to be reformed, and that sort of brings another question into my mind is um how effective are social movements in just boycotting court rulings. I mean, I think that points to the fact that institutions in Taiwan are still fairly weak hmm. and there's always a chance that sort of populism will sort of prove to be more stronger than the law. And that in a way is dangerous, but at the same time, the sort of antiquated and really ridiculous laws are also a, a worry too. So it's how you get that balance and obviously you need more legal reform. But, they um, did
2: push for, um, in fact, I believe it was next, yeah. February next year, and the FDA are opening up private testing labs for all food companies, and companies that earn or are are, are so big, not like bob 's fish and chips, for example, but a largest company will have to have will have to send its products to these independent laboratories for testing
0: but again the issue is how effective is enforcement, and if if these Private companies actually find wrongdoing. What still, can they do? Yeah, the question yeah. is still how it will be handled, and can really good lawyers talk their way out? Talk, you know, can the company talk its way out of that with really good lawyers? So. Yes,
2: that means there's
1: probably more taint to come.
2: Whoopie
0: do.
1: Mm. Indeed, and uh, well, I'm sure that this happening so close to the election, we're going to be hearing an awful lot more about this. It's going to rear its head once again. Uh, but for now, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we do return, we've got the spy swap that never was. New stops on your high-speed rail trip, and a guardian angel for the 101 Fireworks Show. That's all coming up after the break. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, ICRT's weekly roundup of news from around the island over the past seven days. I'm Keith McConney, joined by Gavin Phipps and Jane Ricards. Kicking off the second half, what spy swap? There was no spy swap! We heard earlier this week that two military intelligence officers imprisoned in China for nearly a decade were released and returned to Taiwan in mid-October. We also learned that later that month, Taiwan agreed to release a Chinese spy who at the time was serving a life sentence in Taiwan. So the Chinese-language China Times reported these releases as a spy exchange and also a signal of warming relations between Taiwan and China. However, the Ministry of National Defense was very quick to deny that China's release of those two intelligence officers was in fact part of any exchange. Uh, so basically they're saying no quid pro quo going on here. That's the line they're given. Uh, Gavin, tell us a little bit about who these men are.
2: Well, Zhukang Kangshun and Xu Zhang they both work for the Bureau of Military Intelligence. They were captured or arrested or detained by Chinese authorities in May of 2006, reportedly somewhere near the border between China and Vietnam.
1: Okay, so very cloak-and-dagger stuff going on here. Or maybe they just
2: wanted some nice spicy noodles. (laughs) Another
1: possibility. Another possibility,
2: but we don't know. So basically that's all we've got. They were captured in 2006. They They were detained for a decade, basically, nearly. They were found guilty, basically, straight away chucked in prison for life mm-hmm. basically and then of course this incident happened when apparently well there's the question now was this arranged before it was arranged for the marshy meeting or was this arranged
1: after the marshy meeting right because there has been uh some reports that are kind of tying these two events together basically uh that narrative would go that thawing cross-straight relations has led to a MASHI meeting, and that MASHI meeting kind of got the ball rolling, perhaps, on uh, this spy swap. But, you know, first we have Ministry of National Defense saying this is not a spy swap, and then we also have some problems uh, with that timeline, given the fact that this happened in October, and the MASHI meeting was in November, and we don't really know when the MASHI meeting uh, was agreed to. Uh, so, uh, Jane, what, what do you see in this whole big mess?
0: Okay, I really don't see any connection with the Ma meeting. Um, there could be a very vague connection between Ma's cross-strait warming policies, which started in 2008, and the spy release. Like, if you compare the Ma administration with the Chen Shui-bian administration, well, obviously, Ma's 23 cross-strait agreements signed are unprecedented and historic, and there has been a, th- a significant thaw with China since Ma took office in 2008. So it could vaguely be limited Link to the atmosphere of that, but to link it to Ma's recent behaviour or any Kuomintang um, government policies in the last six months is just taking it too far. Mm. I don't think there's any connection with the Maishui the Maishui meeting.
2: Yeah, parole is the word they like to use here. Apparently, the two Taiwan, the two ROC intelligence officers were paroled. They, ah. weren't, they weren't released. They were paroled. They weren't swapped. They were paroled.
0: And the Ministry of Defence said they've been working for their release since 2008. So. Mm-hmm as um, result of long-term efforts.
2: And, of course, the, the Chinese chap in prison in Taiwan, whose name was Li Zhihau, he was sentenced to life here in Taiwan for spying for China. And apparently he was paroled as well, because apparently he'd requested parole numerous times before his release in October.
1: All right. Uh, well, maybe one point of significance that we could point to then is uh, official sources are saying that uh, these two spies that were just returned to Taiwan were the last two Taiwan spies uh, detained in China. Well,
2: the last two military intelligence. Okay. Actually, in they're paid by the Military Intelligence Bureau full-time right, perhaps, employment. Perhaps there were nobody folks that knows, were helping them out. Well, nobody knows whether they were they were paying people in they in the big house now, so to speak, in China.
0: I don't know how you could say they're the last two spies because if you've got spies, you basically don't tell people they're there. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't... Yeah, know. that's what I
2: meant. They're, these were the two that were paid by the Bureau of Military Intelligence that are well, on record co- as being employed for their full-time job.
0: Yes, but how do you know the Military Intelligence Bureau doesn't have more people there? That, I mean, that's <laughs> the whole point of spycraft. That's, that's,
1: that's kind of why it's all ridiculous, <laughs> yes. for all of us trying to make sense of this yes. event, because it's a spy event. We don't know yes. what happened. Last up for today, rounding things out, we've got uh, two kind of smallish stories that we're going to hit real, real quick. First up... Well, okay, I I guess I shouldn't call it a smaller story. It's not a smaller story if you live in Miaoli or Zhanghua or Yunlin. uh, Because now you've got your own stops on the high-speed rail system. Uh, Gavin... Uh, those opened up Tuesday.
2: Yeah, they opened up Tuesday at stop in Miaoli County, Jianghua County, and Yunlin County. Three new high speed rail stops. Woohoo! If you live in those counties, great. If you're traveling from Taipei to Gaoshung and want to get there quick, not so great, however. Well, they say
1: that they're going to maintain the. Well, uh, there's
2: been a reduction in the number of super fast trains from mm. Taipei direct to Gaoshung, stopping only at Taipei, Banqiao, Taichung, and then Zuoying. Mm-hmm. 30% of those trains have been cut because of these new stations. So, you know, but while it might leave some people fuming, the High Speed Rail Corporation have said these new stations will boost weekly travel passenger volume to around 140,000 or above.
1: 140,000 or above. And uh, that's going to be important for the Taiwan High-Speed Rail uh, because, of of course, of their financial troubles. They've struggled to get that ridership up as high as they would want to.
2: Yeah. But, I mean, who knows with these new stations? I mean, well, I'm not dissing anyone that lives in Yunlin. Obviously, Yunlin, compared with the amount of people that would travel from Taipei to Taichung, Taipei to Kaohsiung, Even Taipei to Jianghua, there's lots of industry in Jianghua, there's lots of industry in Yunlin, but there's slightly more sort of people that would... Commuter traffic. People would need to travel to Jianghua type of businesses. Whether Yunlin will actually make much of a difference is beyond me. And, of course, they're pushing Miao Li for tourism. Mm.
1: Do you want to say
0: something? Um, My only comment is, I think on the whole, it's going to be a plus for business and for tourism and investment, but a few negative um, sides to it, as Gavin pointed out, is that you there'd be less express travel from Taipei to Gaoshung, and let's not forget that Taipei and Gaoshung are kind of where all, all, most business is happening. So you still need those sort of express routes. Mm. And secondly, from my memory, it was only something like half an hour to travel on local train from um, Taichung to Jianghua. So do we really need the extra stop with Jianghua, which will really hold up the Travel time, Mm. when there's just not that much difference between getting off at Taichung and catching a local train. Mm. That was my thought.
2: What my question was, though, of course, we did speak about this, Keith. How many people in Taiwan can actually name the capital of Yunlin County? Can we ask our local person in the studio, can you tell me the capital of Yunlin County,
1: Ping? Ping Ping, uh, uh, engineer extraordinaire sitting here.
2: No, you see, no, no. you can't. It's Dolio. They play baseball there.
1: Dolio. I didn't
2: know Yes. You see, there you go. So, Yunlin, my my point exactly.
1: All right. Uh, We're just going to let that point speak for itself then and move on to our final story. For the broadcast version, anyway. Well, it was looking uh, a little iffy for the future of the Taipei 101 New Year's fireworks display. Recently, the company had warned The Taiwan's gloomy financial outlook was making it difficult to find a a sponsor for the event. Uh, And they even warned that in the future, uh, they may have to convert the proceedings into an LED show. Uh, Basically, you know, just lots of LED flashing lights instead of big boom-booms up in the air. Uh, I think there were some environmental concerns uh, in the mix there as well, but firework lovers can heave a soot-filled sigh of relief. They have found a backer, and the backer is, drumroll, drumroll, Gavin. It's yeah. not Gavin. Gavin, who is it?
2: It's, well, it's depending. I don't, I don't really know how you say the name of this company, I will admit. Mm. It's either Bung Bung Aim or Bung Bun Game, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> That's the name in English. It's a local company. It's a local tech company, and they've stepped in with a $45 million NT needed to cover the cost of what is a huge fireworks show. I mean, 100,000 people, more, maybe 200,000 people flocked to the east of Taipei on that night to see the fireworks display.
1: The price tag that uh, I saw reported in the Central News Agency was 45 million NT. Yeah, yeah. So it's up there. It's an expensive event.
2: But, you know, it gets the bodies out, you
1: know. Right, and I I actually tried to uh, interview the management of... Uh, 101 just to, to get their take on the uh, whole you know led plan they did not want to talk to me so uh, my sense is that perhaps i'm just speculating here but perhaps they never really wanted to do uh, the led show that was just kind of a way of fishing for uh, a, a new sponsor but they got one so uh, we're going to stick with uh, the good old fireworks uh, gavin what do they have on display for us this year
2: Oh apparently it's going to be 238 seconds in length that's the longest fireworks display ever at the 101 since the building was inaugurated on December 31st of 2004 and the theme is nature is future. Nature where is future. Be firing off fireworks in the designs of fauna and flora in order to raise environmental awareness. What the smell of cordite has to do with <laughs> environmental <laughs> awareness, I don't know.
1: Hey, if it's an explosion in the shape of a flower, it's environmentally friendly, all right? That's that's how it works. That's how it... I'd still like to know how the name of this company is. A Bunga bung game or bung-bung game. We'll have to I, call them up.
2: We'll do something about it. Anyway, just in case anyone's interested, they were established in 2008. They're a software developer company, and apparently they've created several apps for Android, iOS, and Windows platforms telephones.
1: There we go. That is Taipei 101's Guardian Angel right there. Last up for the show today for our podcast listeners, we've got your other news for the week right here. We're not calling this uh, the funny bit anymore. It's just, you know, lighter side, other news, that sort of thing. Today, uh, we are going to be celebrating the prolific talents of one working professional. Gavin, uh, what is the profession in question?
2: Well, this is Guo Ju, and she was a midwife in Pingdong County's Wundang Township. Midwifery? Yep, and she delivered 7,000 babies in her 36-year career.
1: 7,000, I just, just that phrase. I
2: don't have a calculator on me, so can someone quickly work out how many babies that is a year?
1: 7,000 babies over... 36 years. 36 years.
2: 7,000, divide, 30, 36.
0: It's roughly 200. 200 a
2: year. That's a busy woman. <laughs> and obviously the people in Pingdong are bit busy as well.
1: Uh, clearly, they're keeping her busy. They're <laughs> they giving her keeping, lots of work. They are
2: keeping her, busy. They're keeping her lots of work. Anyway, the reason she made the news this week is because her old um, university, or uh, she, when she went there, it was a vocational high school of midwifery.
1: Mm-hmm. It's now called
2: the Kaohsiung Fuyin University. Okay. And she was selected by the university as an exemplary figure this week. Mm-hmm. There you go. She apparently became a midwife in 1962.
1: Way back there. there.
2: And it's quite funny. There was an article about her and it said she used to ride her motorcycle to the houses where the people were giving birth. Rain or shine, she was on duty every day. And sometimes she would have to wait potentially for several nights for the arrival of the said baby.
1: That's a dedicated midwife.
2: but And she was more dedicated when she actually stopped being a midwife. Oh, yeah? Because then she became a volunteer matchmaker.
1: There you go. There you go. go. If her daughter was getting into the industry, she was just trying to up the market a little (laughs) bit.
2: And over the past decade, apparently, since she became the volunteer matchmaker, she has matched 200 couples. That's a year's worth of babies. (laughs) It's in there, right there. And apparently, she has a zero divorce rate.
0: Well, that's very interesting. Um, what what occurred to me is it kind of reflects Taiwan's demographics because, you know, a decade or so ago, it was all about lots of babies and now there aren't enough babies. Like, in I think in recent years, Taiwan had the lowest birth rate in the world, I think. but And um, so now it's all about matchmaking. So it ah, kind exactly. of reflects all these social trends. The changing industry. Yes. Yeah, she
1: wouldn't be uh, de- delivering any 200 babies a year this day and age. That's probably for sure.
2: I just have this picture of this woman on a motorcycle in the 1960s puttering along I, to deliver I, I, a baby. That, and, of course, it's in Ping Dong. So it means, you know, this was like not Taipei.
1: Yeah, way back when puttering. It feels like almost like an anime character kind of puttering around like that. All right, well, we're going to leave our audience with that image in their head and round out the show. I uh, will... Have to end things there. You can send us your thoughts on the week's major stories on our Facebook page or on our blog. You'll also be able to find this program online at the ICRT website and on iTunes. If you are listening through iTunes, please take a second to rate and review the show. Let's us know what you're thinking and helps other people discover the program. You can also find me on Twitter. I am at Keith Menconi. I will be tweeting links to the show each and every Friday, so if it's too much trouble to find it on iTunes, you can find it on Twitter. And how many followers have you got? Shh, I just got on. I just okay. got on. We're not going to talk about that. That's the sore point. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I'm Keith Menconi, joined by Gavin Phipps. Who's not twi- not on Twitter, has no intention of ever being on Twitter, and good night. And good night, and also Jane Ricards. Good evening. Are you on Twitter?
0: No.
1: All right, so uh, like Gavin, we're we're, we're we're one for three. Thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan This Week.
0: Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.